before we officially start chapter one, before we discuss the first chapter, we're going to need to use a, a big principle of biblical interpretation. And to find that principle, I invite you to look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. Welcome. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. But before we read that, could our you three that just stepped in, could you give us your name? I'm Johnny. Johnny? Uh-huh. Karen. Karen? Esther. And Esther. And where are you from? Uh, we're from Melinda. Melinda, in the school here, university? Um, we all graduated. All graduated. Okay, good. Glad you can make it. Glad to have, us, have you with us. Okay, Ecclesiastes, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. Uh, who would like to read that? Anybody? Okay. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. The thing which has been, what tense is that? Present, past, future. Present. It's in the past. The thing that has been, it is that which shall be. What tense is that? future and that which is done is that which shall be done so simply put this text is laying out this principle Solomon here in his wisdom is saying there's really nothing new in the history of mankind what has happened in the past is what's happening now and is what's going to happen in the future so basically to cut a long story short for us to learn about the future what must we study the past the past history And this is a principle that we're going to apply all throughout the book of Daniel, uh, especially tonight. And it is called, in, um, I guess, theological terms, it's called history repeats. Simple simple to remember. Whatever happens in the Bible, it has an end time significance, especially in the book of Daniel, because it's an apocalyptic book, uh, eschatological book. I said that the first time. So, Daniel chapter 1, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this chapter with this history repeats type of lens. There are a lot of practical applications that we can gain, you know, things that are very inspiring and things that are neat, just reading the story as, as it reads, like a bedtime story. And I'm sure we've all heard Daniel chapter 1, the story before, but I want to cover something that perhaps you haven't seen before, something that has a special significance for our day right now. Now, before we go any farther, I just want to see, real quick, how many of you read Daniel chapter 1 this past week? Oh, good. Okay, easier question. How many of you read Daniel chapter 1, have, you, have ever read Daniel chapter 1? Okay, more of you. So, let me just ask you real quick, what happens in this chapter? In like, few words. Okay, so so eating the king's food. Okay, that's simple, or the test of diet. Three years of school and not one for the cup. 
Three years of school in Babylon. All right. We're going to talk about that. Okay, good. You basically hit the three main points. I, just, I divided the study tonight basically into those three sections. And um, we'll see that in a minute. Normally, I would have us read through the whole chapter before um, we go in verse by verse. But uh, I think we'll just forego that since we've, we all basically know the story of this, of this chapter. So let's just start in verse 1. If I'm, if I'm missing anything, I will come back. So, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So, verses 1 and 2. Details, or summarizes, I should say, the fall of Judah, the fall of Jerusalem, and the fall of the temple. All of the temple vessels were taken to the treasure house of the gods of Babylon. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes. Verse 4, Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now I want to pause here for a moment and uh, just take a step back. I want you to think with me what Daniel must have gone through. I just want you to think. Um, it doesn't, there's a lot that we can learn without the story telling us, by just thinking about what the context of the situation must have been. Now, what do we know about Jerusalem in terms of its position with God and the children of Judah, Israel? Just in general, in the Old Testament, God's chosen, God's chosen people, and did they know it? Oh yeah, they knew it. So Daniel came from this 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 background where where he knew that they were the chosen of God. They knew that they had the right message. They knew that they had the truth for that time. They knew it. But what happened to Jerusalem? Exactly. It was taken captive. Jerusalem fell. It fell even, though, even when they thought that they could not fall. When they just knew that they were right. I mean, they, they were sure of it. And, you know, they had reason to be. They were not God's chosen people. They were the last of God's chosen people. The ten tribes had already been wiped out. That's right. And so the very, you know, promise to Abraham and his descendants was, was in question now. Mm-hmm. Right. So with that, with that background, Daniel is coming with this, type of, with this type of history behind him. And all of a sudden, Babylon comes, Nebuchadnezzar comes, destroys the city, takes the vessels out of the house of God, the, very, the most sacred place in the whole nation, comes in, takes that out, puts it in the treasure house of his God, as if to say, you know, our gods are more powerful than your gods. 
And it is very likely that Daniel saw the massacre of his family or his, and his friends before his very eyes. And then to add to that, they were taken as captives across the desert to Babylon. And on the way, they were made eunuchs. They, were, they even lost what little they had left. They were no longer able to be real men, so to say. So th- this, was the, this was the type of experience that, was going, that Daniel went through. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but that is what I would call a great disappointment. Wouldn't you? Yes. But wait a second. Is there something significant about that? There, what, 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 did God have a greater purpose? Did he have more or another plan? Did he have something else in mind for these young Hebrew boys? Look with me in verse 17. Daniel 1, verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, having understanding in all visions and dreams, what does that mean? In just one word. Gift of prophecy. So, God was taking Daniel out of the, his home, out of Judah, out of Jerusalem, through this trying, this great disappointment experience, this bitter experience to come to Babylon to receive the gift of prophecy, and you receive the gift of prophecy to prophesy, right? And who did he prophesy to? We know the, we know the rest of the story in Daniel chapter 2, and, and 4, and 5, and 6, and then, and then the rest of the book. Specifically in chapter 2, because the next chapter is directly linked with this chapter. In the next chapter, uh, chapter 2, Daniel prophesied to the king. He prophesied to King Nebuchadnezzar. And there is a special purpose behind that. I want you to look with me now on Daniel chapter 4. Now, I, I just remember, last week somebody said that we know that the book of Daniel is written by Daniel. And I said that that's not necessarily true. The reason I said that is because chapter 4 is not written by Daniel. Chapter 4 is written by Nebuchadnezzar. Now notice very, very carefully what it says. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. Verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now, who's writing here? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Does, he, does this sound like a pagan king to you? Uh-uh. He sounds like... This sounds like it could be Paul. Yeah. Paul, servant of the living God, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. This is Nebuchadnezzar writing here. And look who he writes to. Notice, all people, nations, and languages. So Daniel, through this bitter trying experience, God took him out, gave him the gift of prophecy, so he could prophesy to the king, convert the king, and in result, the king was able to proclaim the gospel message to the whole world, to peoples, nations, and languages. Now, I told you before that we're looking at history repeats. And Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he represents God's final generation, God's final chosen people in the end of time. So, uh, do you think that there's some sort of correlation here? There must be. And Norman is sitting next to me here. And for those of you who were at Avonhoe the past two Sabbaths, you heard him speak on Revelation chapter 10. 
So let's go there now. And in Revelation chapter 10, to be real brief, Jesus comes down as a mighty angel. He has a little book open in his hand. And that little book we know is the prophecy of the 2300 days found in Daniel 8.14. And he was able to open it to the understanding of the people. So, uh, John, representing God's people, comes and God tells him to take the book and eat it. Eating meaning assimilate it, understand it. And at first, the book in his mouth was sweet. It was a sweet experience. But then, in his belly, it became bitter. So John went through this bitter disappointment, this bitter experience. And we understand that in the context of Adventist history is the great disappointment of October 22, 1844. But notice, notice verse 11. Revelation chapter 10, verse 11. The final verse of Revelation chapter 10, this is speaking about God's end time movement, the, uh, the Adventist movement. And notice what God says to the Adventist movement after their great disappointment experience, their bitter experience. Verse 11. And he said unto me, Thou must what? Prophesy again before many what? People, nations, tongues. What's another word for tongues? Languages. And what's the final one? Kings. So Daniel, through his experience in just chapter 1, God took him out of this bitter experience, gave him the gift of prophecy, so that he could prophesy to the king. That's the last one on our verse here in Revelation. And through prophesying to the king, he was able to reach all peoples, all nations, all languages with the gospel of Jesus. And as Adventists today, we take the uh, Revelation 14 as, as our challenge, our great commission, so to say. And it says that there was another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. This is the exact, exact role that God's people in the final day, which we believe we are, called to be. This is what God has called us to do. But then I want to take you back a step to Daniel chapter 1 again. And looking back in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, very interesting. We already mentioned that they were the chosen people of God. But yet, God did not choose or did not uh, just let them be. They received a punishment when they turned away from God. And God was able, was, did, God then not only took away the favor or the, the blessing from off of the Israel people, but even the mission was given to someone else. And in this case, it was given to Babylon. God had a purpose for the Israel nation and the children of Israel, and that was to proclaim His good news, his, the coming Messiah, salvation to all the world, to the Gentiles. That was the purpose of having a chosen nation. But they didn't care about that. They went along and they just wanted to have their good old time. So God had to use Babylon. Jesus has said before, if these shall hold their peace, those stones shall cry out. And in, Dan in the book of Daniel, we see exactly that happening. Babylon, being the rocks of the day, they cried out. This pagan nation, not only that, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the king of the pagans, not just that. Do you know that Nebuchadnezzar is most likely also the high priest? of the pagan religion of Babylon? Get this, the, the high priest of paganism preaching about the God of heaven. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of deep application there. But simply put, what I'm saying is that we have a command from God to prophesy again to many peoples, nations, languages, tongues, and kings. But if we don't do it, Daniel, the book of Daniel is telling us, if we don't do it, God will raise somebody else up. If we don't do it, God will get his work done some other way. He doesn't need us. We are not, God's work does not depend on us. We have to depend on God to do his work. But I'm not saying that, you know, there's going to be another movement or, or we need to separate from the Adventist church. No, no, no. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is that in each of our individual lives, we need to make sure that we're doing what God has called us to do to the best of our ability. Because if we don't do it, somebody else will. And it may be another hundred years. I don't know. And God forbid that that happens. But let us remember that. Now, in verse 17, I know that we jump straight to verse 17. Um, and it says that God gave them, or gave Daniel, understanding in all visions and dreams. But that, was, that came as a condition. God didn't just give him, all of a sudden, the gift of prophecy. According to Daniel chapter 1, he went through a test. He had to go through something that tried him so that he would be fit to receive this gift. And what was that test? Diet. Diet. But it's, it's more than that. But specifically, particularly in this chapter, in the area of diet. But before we go directly there, I want to take your attention to what the king put these young men in, what kind of an environment they're in. Um, I recommend you to read uh, Prophets and Kings, chapter 39. It's called Captives in the Courts of Babylon. Uh, it's page 479. It gives you a lot of good background and a lot of good insight on this chapter. And simply put, from that, from that chapter... Uh, Spirit of Prophecy says that Nebuchadnezzar did not just come out straight and want to force anyone, particularly these Hebrews, to change their religion to idolatry. That was not his plan. What he wanted to do was to gradually, subtly, by, by minute changes, change or to, to convert them into paganism. And how did he do that? Well, we know that they're living in Babylon now, so every day they're with pagan influences, pagan associates, heathen, heathen students, heathen teachers in their schools. And that, that's the next thing. Uh, it says that they were put into three years of education so that they could stand before the king. So they were subject to Babylonian or pagan education, learning their pagan philosophies, pagan sciences, pagan history, pagan all this. Not only that, it says in verse 4, in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, how many of you here speak a different language other than English? Some of us. And um, I think, even if you don't, you should be able to understand. And that is that in order for you to fluently speak a language, you must understand the culture. If you don't understand the culture, you might be able to say the words, but you won't be able to really communicate fluently. I speak Chinese myself, and I can testify that that's true. I've tried learning Spanish before. I don't understand the culture, and it, it just doesn't work. And for those of you who do speak another language, I think you would agree, right? So in teaching the tongue of the Chaldeans, in order for them to become fluent, they would have to learn the culture, the culture 
of Babylon. And you've got to understand, the Hebrew culture, everything is centered around God, Jehovah. Their, their festivals, their weekly cycle, their occupation, their temple services. I mean, everything is surrounded about God. So just the fact that they had to learn a different culture, they had to be stripped away from this culture that centers around Jehovah of Heaven. And also, it says uh, that in verse 7, uh, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. So they changed their names. From Daniel to the name Belteshazzar and Hananiah of Shadrach to Mishael to Meshach and of Azariah to Abednego. So these Hebrew boys, they had Hebrew names, but they were changed to Babylonian names. Now you have to understand, in Hebrew culture, the names are synonymous with character. And also, these names all have to do with God. Dan means judge, El means God. So Daniel, his name means God is my judge. And I don't remember the rest, but um, they all have to do with uh, Jehovah or Elohim, the God of heaven. And so in changing their names, they were changing, they were, it's, a, it's a symbol, or it's a, it's a type of, of symbol, I guess is the best, or a figure of Babylon trying to change the very characters of these young people. And they did not do it by force. They didn't beat them. In fact, they did it the opposite way. They gave them the best education, the best food, you know, the best associates, the best place to live probably. But yet, through all of these influences, Daniel stood strong. Now I just want to ask you something. What kind of influences are you in? Are you placing yourself under? You see, Daniel and his friends, they didn't have a choice. They were forced into this circumstance. They were forced to go into a Babylonian university. They were forced to you know, be with these students, with these friends, these people. But we have a choice. And we see here that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to convert them using their environment. What type of people they're around. What type of influences they're exposed to. What type of, perhaps, music. What type of food. What type of education. What books are we reading. What are we watching. What are we doing with our time. All of this sort of stuff. In the, in the purpose of converting these young men to paganism. And I'm afraid Satan is doing the same thing right now. And we need to ask ourselves this question honestly. Take an honest appraisal of our lives. Look at our lives. How much time are we doing this and that? How much time are we spending with God? What are we, what's our priorities in life? And if we are in questionable environments, if we are with questionable associates, the question I have for you is who is converting who? Who are you converting them, or are they converting you? And you have to just, it's very simple. Just look at your life. What are you spending the majority of your time doing? Where is the majority of your time spent? If it's in a place that's questionable, unless, I'm saying, if you chose, if you had no choice to be in those kind of circumstances, well, you can pray that God will preserve you like Daniel, and I believe He will. But if you had a choice, the question is, who's converting who? That's a very important question for us to keep in mind. But then, we see all of these, all of these different things or questionable things that Daniel and his friends were subjected to, right? We see that they were subjected to different type of education, different type of friends, associates, different language. Their names were changed and also they had a new diet. But what was the only thing that they made a big deal about? It was the food. It was the diet. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, they, you know, everything else was just fine. They were questionable, but but somehow this this area of diet, 
sparked enough demand for them to make an opposition. Why is that? Let me just add this little snippet in there. Perhaps you may have thought of it before. Surely, if you're eating from the king's table, not everything is unclean. Surely, it can't just all be pork and shrimp and lobster and, and I don't know, coffee and you know, beer. And, you know, it can't be just that. The king doesn't just eat unclean foods. You, got, you understand what I'm saying? So why couldn't Daniel and his friends just go to the table, sit down, pretend they're having a great time and just eat the grapes? Just eat the, the apple that's in the pig's mouth or something. <laughs> you know? Why couldn't they do that? It's very simple. In, pagan, in the pagan culture, the food that they ate, or that the king ate, it was offered to idols. And the food was... It's sort of like we ask a blessing on the food from God. They ask a blessing from their pagan gods. So even in pretending to eat that food, it was, it was a denial to their faith. Just the fact that they were eating it, it was as if they're saying, it's okay, we, you know, we can worship your God sometimes. So this is, this is something else, another important application that we have for us, our lives today. Even if something is questionable, questionable, if it's something that has to do with worship of God, perhaps even in a slightly different context, perhaps we need to think twice. Some people say, oh, we can worship on any day of the week as long as we're worshiping the same God. You can worship on Monday, I worship on Wednesday, or you worship on Sunday, Friday night, whatever. It's just fine. It's all the same God. God is big enough that He can understand. I don't think so. According to the Bible, God is a God of detail. And God cares how we worship when we worship, or else he wouldn't have told us. But I'm getting off track here. But um, So somehow, so in, in the area of diet, simply put, Daniel had to stand firm because it was a direct violation to the second commandment, or both, first and second commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not bow thyself down to any graven images. So Daniel had a choice, and he chose, he chose to withstand the, the temptation in the area of diet. There's another reason though. In the area of diet, if Daniel fell in that one area, or if he stood firm, that one area would affect how firm he stood in all of the other questionable areas of his life. Because what he ate determined how clear his mind was, how, how keen his perception and his conscience and how sharp his intellect was. And we know Daniel is a smart guy. So we have this very important lesson, something we have to remember. The key issue is not what's the, what's the least we can do and squeak by. That's not the issue. The issue is what can we do to best preserve ourselves to be faithful to God. So if Daniel knew if he fell in this one area, it would affect his strength and courage in all the other areas. So that's why he, that's why he did not eat of the king's food. So what did he do? Verse 12. I'm skipping a lot of stuff here. But simply put, Daniel and his friends went to the prince of the eunuchs and said, Look, we don't want to eat this stuff. Give us pulse to eat. Or a vegetarian diet. Legumes, nuts, grains, so forth. And the prince of the eunuchs says, Oh, I fear the Lord the king. My Lord the king. uh, Because you can endanger my life. And then Daniel went to Melzar, who was sort of like their caretaker, and asked him the same thing. In verse 12. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Ten days. 
10 days. Prove us on this area of diet. Now, there's, some, there's a lot that we can just glean out of this. But firstly, Daniel, he did not care about the consequences. Daniel did not care that he was putting his life on the line. He did not care that he was putting somebody else's life on the line. Did you notice that? The prince of the eunuch said, you know, you can get me killed. And Daniel said, okay, well, you know, if you're afraid, I'll go ask somebody else. He didn't say, oh, this is going to cost somebody's life. Well, you know, in that case, I'm going to have to just you know, make do. God will just have to understand. No, that's not what Daniel did. Because Daniel knew that when he was faithful to God, even putting other people at risk, that God will still take care of the consequences. We are to do what's right and leave the consequences with God. Even if it has to do with other people. Even if we cost, it may cost somebody else's life. God's in charge of that. We're just in charge of being faithful. So next, he says, prove that servants ten days. So Daniel, he knew, he somehow knew that in 10 days, he could tell a marked difference. He could tell. And so he consented them to this matter and proved them 10 days. And, oh, I skipped verse 13. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them. And verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared, in my version, it says, fairer and fatter in flesh, than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Now, my Bible says fair and fatter. Um, what does the word fairer mean? Better in appearance. Better in appearance. You know, in, in like the fairy tales, there's always the fair maiden. What does that mean? She's beautiful. So Daniel and his friends, somehow, through ten days, they actually looked better. You know, ladies, you want to look better? Eat healthfully. At the end of ten days, but I guess uh, I guess the next word it's and fatter, but fatter, <laughs> but fatter in this sense does not mean overweight. Yeah, that's true, that's true. So fatter simply puts, you look fit, you're well built, you look healthy, not scrawny, not obese, and you look fair, you look good. So at the end of ten days, so now. I don't know. I don't know. You know how many of us here are vegetarians or vegans or whatever, but I want to ask. I want to challenge you to come up higher this week. You know, when's Go Veggie Week anyway? Next week. That's next week. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. If you if you have not tried it yet, now is the time to try it. Mm-hmm. There's something else about like look fatter is uh, when I took some uh, regular history course back in high school. The teacher said uh, that back in maybe a couple hundred years ago, whatever that. Guys actually thought it looked better when people were fat. Yeah, that's true. So I guess it was another sign of looking good. Well, in in our day, you know, applying it to our day, not overweight. But anyway, I think you get the idea. So back to the point at hand. You know, I just want to challenge you all. If you're if you're not a vegetarian, just try it. You know, the Go Veggie Week is only seven days. If you start today, you'll have ten days, I think. <laughs> So try it for 10 days. If you're a vegetarian already, try going vegan for, for 10 days. Just, I mean, what do you have to lose? You know, you can take God at his word. God, God provided for Daniel at the end of the 10 days. He looked fair and fatter. You know, you can tell God, why can't it be different? With, why would it be different with me? You know, just do your best. Ask God to bless you. You know, maybe next week we can have testimony time. And 
People can, people can bring their pants. I lost this much weight. <laughs> no, <laughs> just joking. We're not, we're not doing a subway commercial. But, but that's that. And um, there, there's more that we can go into. But coming to the final section, the final point of our, of our lesson. Okay, I think we have enough time. And that is uh, this question. How, did, how was it that Daniel was able to stand? We already discussed the, the trial that he went through, how hard of a time he had to come out of this massacre of Jerusalem and besiegement and temple being desecrated and his family being killed and dragging across the desert, becoming a, a eunuch and all this stuff. Even with all of those trials and temptations, he was able to stand firm. Why? What was his secret? How did he do it? Let me just read you what he did in verse 8. This is perhaps the most famous verse of the whole chapter. Uh, Daniel... Uh, chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. Now let me ask you this. Purpose in his heart, that phrase. You know, we don't, we don't talk like that um, anymore. So tell me in your own words. What do you take that to mean? Committed himself? Made up his mind? Beforehand. Beforehand. Okay. Resolved. Resolved. To get clarity before, he had clarity before a challenge came up. Usually we react in life. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of cruise along because some trauma comes to us. But he had clarity because he had studied already and he knew exactly if he was to face this, this is what he would do. And he was sure of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's, you know, you actually just, just spared me a few minutes to go through that point in my Bible study. But that's good. No, 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 that's good. That's good. Um, so all these different words. Committed himself, made up his mind, resolved. Um, I think of two words. Fixed or set his mind. It was so that he couldn't be moved. Isn't that right? He just, he just said it and he says, I'm not going to do it. And he won't do it. Now, we mentioned earlier that this is talking about history repeating itself. Now, let me ask you, um, in the book of Revelation, talking about, I mean, if you don't know, there's no problem if you don't know. This is just out of curiosity to see who knows. And if you do know, please give the answer. Um, In the book of Revelation, in a, a description, a similar description, similar description, of God's final generation. Something that has to do with made up their mind. Something that has to do with purpose in their heart. A phrase that means the same thing to describe God's final generation. The book of Revelation. It's a set. Okay. Almost. Something happened before then. Okay, you know, just to tie that in, I'm go- that's not the verse I'm thinking of, but just to tie that in, Daniel, he kept the commandments of God, didn't he? 
he was, he was faithful in the area of diet because he would not bow or, or worship the idol. He kept the commandments of God. And then he was given the gift of prophecy. And from Revelation, we know that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So Daniel, he actually had the testimony of Jesus and he kept the commandments of God. That wasn't part of the study. That's added with no charge. But what's the phrase? It's in Revelation chapter 7. Let's just read. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 3 talking about the 144,000. Verse 3, Revelation 7, verse 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So, and what's in our forehead? Our mind. The frontal lobe. And what's, you know, uh, Daniel, he purposed in his heart. Can we say he purposed in his mind? And it's the same, same concept. Daniel purposed in his mind. The 144,000 were sealed in their minds. Sealed meaning, you know, when you seal something, you know, you can't change it anymore. It's fixed. It's set. It's made up. It's resolved. It's put in cement. It's put, it's made of stone now. You cannot change it. Sealed. So, Daniel is actually a representation. Representation of those that will be sealed in their foreheads at the end of time. Yes? Uh, going along with that, it talks specifically purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself. Mm-hmm. And Revelation talks about... Um, They're not defiled with women. They're not being defiled as well. Mm-hmm. Talking about the purity of the saints, the same group of people. That's right. That's right. So, Daniel's a representation of that. Now, you know, I'm sure you're asking the question, well, I've never studied the sealing. For those of you who haven't, what, what's the seal of business? Seal of the living God, all this stuff. Well, we have the spirit of prophecy, and she's very uh, gracious to give us the answer to that very question. Uh, found in Maranatha, page 200. If you are not in the habit of writing things down, I suggest you write this one down. You will, you will need to look at it again. There's a definition of sealing. The definition of to be sealed in the forehead, okay? Uh, Maranatha, page 200. It says, uh, Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, and then it goes on to explain what that means, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but it is a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so that they cannot be moved. That's the sealing process. An intellectual and spiritual settling into the truth so that you can't be moved. And I don't know about you, but this does not sound like an overnight process. This is not something that takes place instantly at the moment the crisis hits. This has to be something that happens day by day, gradually, step by step. It's a progress. It's a, it's a work in progress. It's under construction constantly until the crisis. And the crisis, the crisis comes to test how firm that thing is sealed how firm that resolution really is. And so Daniel purposed in his mind, not when the food was laid out before him, not when he came into the courts of Babylon, it was before that. And, you know, Ken, he brought that up. You know, you can't just do, you, can't, you just can't wait until the last minute to prepare for a crisis. You've got to make up your mind before. And this takes us to this final, final section, which I have labeled true education. True education. And this is very important. 
very important because this is what determines whether we are sealed or not. And, you know, if according to the book of Revelation, we're not going there right now, but um, if you study it out, if you are not sealed with the seal of the living God, you receive the mark of the beast. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. So if we're not preparing ourselves to receive the seal of the living God, you know, naturally, we get the other discounted product. So, how, how, did they, you know, how did they resolve? What was it that caused them to be able to stand so resolutely? How, what was it? And you know, I tend to say, I believe, that Daniel made up his mind long before Babylon ever came to Jerusalem. He made up his mind way before Nebuchadnezzar even thought about taking the temple. Daniel made up his mind when he was at home as a young boy with his parents. You don't believe me? Read it in Prophets and Kings. That's what it says. Daniel was trained at home by his parents so well, so well, that even though he went through all of these trials and, and physical, you know, extreme conditions, he was still able to stand firm to the, to the principles of God. And this is an important, important, important lesson for us today. I don't think, you know, I don't know, I don't see, I don't think any of your parents, oh yeah, Johnston is a parent, but for those of the rest of us who are not parents, but will be one day, you, we have to remember this. We have to remember this. If we are not training up the kid, our kids to receive the seal of the living God, we are training them to receive the mark of the beast. If, the, if, if we have this notion, which unfortunately is prevalent, even among our church, among the Adventist church, people are beginning to say that, you know, we just need to let the children roam free, do what they want, have their fun, until they're old enough to think for themselves, and then you give them the option. You know, when that happens, it's too late. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us in other places, if that takes place, the children receive an almost impossible desire for evil. It's almost impossible for them to be, to be converted. And that is very important for us. Uh, I mean, this isn't a parenting class, so let's just leave that at that. But the Bible does say in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way that he should go, so that when he is old, he shall not depart from it. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel. We read in Daniel chapter 5, chapter 6, he's an old man, 90, six, uh, 90, uh, 80, 90 years, years old, and he's still faithful. Still faithful. But this is what I want to focus on now. is What was the education that Daniel received? What was the education that Daniel received? From this chapter, we can see it. We actually see the three major areas that Daniel was trained in. Okay, let's go there. Verse 4. Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. This is describing Daniel and also the other Hebrew boys that were taken captive. So Daniel was intelligent academically. He had wisdom. He had knowledge. Understanding science. He was good in school. You know, I think Daniel was a 4.0 student. He was probably top of his class if he was, you know, in class, he was actually in homeschool. But um, if he had any brothers or sisters, I don't know. But Daniel was well educated academically. Now, I've been guilty of saying this myself, and I've heard my friends and other people say it too. You know, don't ever catch yourself saying this. If you do, bite your tongue. That is, that, you know, I don't care about school anymore. It's just a waste of my time. I just do enough to get by so I can have more time to study the Bible, so I can have more time to do God's work. 
You know, I, literally, I've said that before. I've thought about, I've thought, literally believed that before. But you know, my friends, if that's what you're thinking, or if that's what your friends are thinking, you can go and tell them, look, you, you read Daniel chapter 1. You want to read the Bible more? If you read the Bible more, then you're going to have to learn that you're going to have to do well in school. That's what God wants us to do. That God blesses those who work hard. Other place in the Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. Do whatever you, your hand finds to do. Do it to the best of your ability. You know, we, as God's followers, we are to be the head, not the tail. We are not to be the dummies. We are supposed to be the top of our class. I mean, if you're not, that's fine. But do the best, the best of our ability, intellectually, academically. And next, it also says, In whom was no blemish, physically speaking. They were unblemished. And prophet walked uprightly. He, was, he had an erect form, good posture. There was a spring in his step. He had a good-looking countenance. He was healthy-looking. And even says this, get this, he had untainted breath. I quote, untainted breath. This was a day before Listerine, before Colgate and Crest. There were no toothbrushes back then. He had good breath. And this, was, this is Daniel. He understood the health message. And we know, you know, from the rest of the story, he knew what was unclean, he knew what was clean, and he, he ate accordingly. So second area, he was trained physically in the areas of health. So we in our own lives, you know, again, the Go Veggie Week, you know, Go Veggie for one week, for ten days, try it out. And on top of that, I'm sure Daniel did not just count on his diet. I'm sure he took his fresh air, got enough rest, got the sunshine, drank enough water, got his exercise, all the rest. You know, you go down the list, new start. Ask yourself, what am I missing? What can I do better? That is physical education in the true sense, not just playing sports. And lastly, Daniel was trained in his faithfulness to God. We see that through the rest of the book of Daniel. Faithfulness to God. And this is his spiritual education. So we see a threefold education. Balanced education is threefold. Physical, mental, and spiritual. Now you must be wondering, wow, I've never heard that before. What, is he just pulling this out of thin air? No, I'm not. In the book Education, the book Education, Amazingly enough, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's easy to remember. The first paragraph of the first chapter is page 13. Education. This is what um, God is telling us. Our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. There is need of a broader scope, a higher aim. True education means more than the pursuit of a certain course of study. So, you know, for us, who live in Loma Linda, for those of you who are in the university, that is not all there is to edu education. Not just what you're studying in school. That's not all. That has a, a big part to play, but not all. It means more than a preparation for the life that now is. It has to do with a whole being and with a whole period of existence possible to man. It is a harmonious... Listen to this sentence very carefully. This is the key. It is a harmonious... True education is a harmonious development of the physical, the mental and the spiritual powers. I see Janine, our teacher over there, nodding her head. So I think I'm on the right track. So this is balanced education. Yeah, Joey. Yeah, I was wondering that for, for the balanced education, that's sort of uh, something I feel like incorporating the spiritual aspect because, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, I think it's really awesome to be getting a 4.0 but mm -hmm. at the same time. Uh, I think that's what drives some people to suicide. Yep. Um, sometimes they believe that they really have to get that. They have to be the top of their, of their class. Mm -hmm. Not just to be academic. Also, I, maybe some people uh, 
hearing that that's how that's what being spiritual is that mm. at a university one of the professors said well if Jesus went to well actually it wasn't a professor from Andrews it was actually some guest speaker that he was saying well if Jesus was on uh, was here what do you expect he would get for grades mm. <laughs> and, I and building up to the implication that he'd be getting straight A's mm. and you know if people if people uh, only go for the academics and um, kind of push the religious part aside that's right. they might feel like that's the center of their life and if they aren't that's right. making that Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's good. That's good. It's important to remember that it's not. It's not that. It, 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 this is this is like a tripod, if you can imagine, a tripod with three legs. If one leg is shortened, the whole thing tips that way, and you can't carry as much weight. True education is the same way. You may be the best, best scholar, get 4.0, and all through your life, but you have no relationship with God. You are a a you are a bipod. You're about to fall. And may God forbid it, you might be even a monopod if you just do not keep your physical health either. It needs to be tri- trifold. It has to be three ways in order for you to be a balanced Christian, a balanced individual in this world. And this is, this is what it means to be sealed. Now let me bring it all back. Sealing, what is it again? Let me read it to you. It is a settling into the truth both intellectually and spiritually. So there we see the mental and the spiritual aspects so that they cannot be moved. That's internally because to be sealed in our minds, it happens naturally in the mind. But when you have committed yourself, resolved yourself to a certain task, to a certain principle, the natural outgrowth of that is that you will show that outwardly. You will do it physically. It will happen. It will show. So the sealing process, it's not just you know, knowing all the Bible verses is not just going to church on Saturday. It's not just any one of these things. It is all of these things, all inclusively, including our physical health and our physical education. So we need to keep that in mind. Just take a quick survey of your own life. Which area do I, am, I, am I leaning towards or am I lacking in? Physical health. Am I being the best of my, uh, doing the best in upkeeping my health? What am I doing in school? Am I just lazing around? Or am I spending too much time to, this, to the uh, exclusion of the other two areas? You know, that is just as valid a, a, a problem as anything else. And, of course, spiritually, what are you doing? How much time are you spending with God? And when we come to a place of balance and we rise, you know, all three of these areas at once, then we can have a sure foundation. We can be sure that we can stand. Now, we're coming to the end here, and let me just look at the last few verses of the book of Daniel as we wrap up. Beginning in verse 18. So this is talking about the end of their training program after three years. After their Babylonian seminary training. Right, Dave? Now, at the end, verse 18. <laughs> no, that, there was no ulterior motive behind that that statement but it's just three years it's just interesting but verse 18 now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar and the king communed with them and among them all was found none like Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah therefore they stood before the king so somehow these four boys they stood out immediately people could tell automatically instantaneously there's something different about these people 
So they stood before the king. I, I think that it was like a personal interview. Verse 20, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them how many times? Ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. So in this area of being faithful, of just in the diet area, led them to be blessed in all the other areas. They were spiritual, uh, they were healthy, they were smart. And it just happened that the, the diet area was the one where the test was revealed, the crisis was revealed. So they came forth as gold tried in the fire. And they came forward and they were found ten times wiser than all the magicians and astrologers. Now we tend to, you know, sometimes we look at this and say, oh, they're ten times better than all the other students. No, that's not what it's saying. It says all the magicians, all the astrologers, including the very people that taught Daniel, Daniel and his friends. So we, when we choose to live under the, you know, unction of the Holy Spirit, and we live a balanced life, have a balanced education in our lives, it is possible for us to be ten times wiser than our professors, ten times wiser than our teachers, ten times wiser than our pastors and our elders. And that is what we can strive to be. By the grace of God, we can do it. And this is the promise that God has given, that when we put Him first, God will bless us. When we are faithful in that which is least, God will grant us more responsibility so that we can prove that we'll be faithful in that which is much also. And so, uh, verse 21, just to wrap things up, Verse 21, it says, Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus was the king of what nation? Medo-Persia, right? That was the nation that overtook Babylon. So in the beginning of chapter 1, we see Babylon coming to take Jerusalem, to take God's temple, as if to say, our gods are mightier than your gods. But through the course of the chapter, we see that God's, uh, God's perception of greatness it's not the same as our perception of greatness. God's perception of greatness is through the faithfulness of His servants. The faithfulness of Daniel proved that God is indeed more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar. Because God was able to preserve Daniel faithful, healthful, to ripe old age, even after the kingdom of Babylon has well come off the scene. So we have an important lesson to learn from that. That is that our faithfulness to God will last longer than the nations and last longer than these things that we think are great. These institutions, these degrees, whatever it may be. Faithfulness to God is what counts. So, that is all I have for this week, but just to re-encourage you all that this week, I really, really, I'm not, I'm not just saying this, um, let's try, let's try this week to be, just take that one step higher, maybe a few steps higher in terms of our, our diet and our health. If you're not vegetarian, go veggie for this week. If you're, if you're uh, already vegetarian, try going vegan for one week. Um, and just see what God does. Prove thy servants for 10 days. Then see what happens. So, in closing, I'm sorry I went a little bit over time. Um, are there any questions, comments before we close? Mm-hmm. Where's the text that says, well, whatever your hand finds, you do it with all your mind? No, I don't remember. Is anyone else? 
Ecclesiastes is probably around 11 or 12, 9 or 12. Yeah, it's, it's by Solomon. Okay, that's good. I'll find it. Yeah. One quick interesting point that I found is that mm-hmm. Daniel stood up to Babylon by being faithful in diet and you know, Revelation talks about a Babylon that we will face in the times we live in so we can make the application for our own personal lives. Mm. That's right. And we'll get more into that as, as the weeks progress. Something Rachel saw that I thought was really cool. I've never seen it in chapter one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way Daniel goes about uh, solving this little dilemma that's come up, um, there were three steps that she saw. And the first was he resolved, first of all, beforehand, mm-hmm. like Kim was saying, before what he was going to do. The second thing's in verse 9 about how uh, God's brought him into favor and tender love. That's and right. We need to make sure that people don't think we're jerks, just mm-hmm. you know, we're going to stand up for our beliefs, but we do it that's right. like idiots. That's right. And um, <laughs> the next thing he did, he presented a creative alternative. Mm. He said, you know, here's um, here's a way that we can both be happy. That's right. And he, was, he went out of his way to um, find that. That's right. Yeah, good point. I really liked what you said about he didn't mind that he didn't mean he had other people too. Yeah, somehow I, I knew you would like something like that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he brought up a really good point that I just, I just skipped today. Uh, that is that God brought him in favor, into loving favor, the prince of the eunuchs. This is exactly in keeping with the commandment of God. Thou shalt love thy enemies. Pray for those that hate you. Daniel was brought into favor with the people that killed his family, that destroyed his nation, you know, desecrated the temple, made him a eunuch. Come on, you know, if anybody would deserve his hatred, it was these people. But he showed love, compassion, and he became friends with them. And God blessed him in the end. So thank you, Eric, for bringing that up. Important application. Anything else? Well, it's kind of interesting in a way with his wisdom, he really helped out the king and the king's nation in a sense by you know, providing them with prophecy, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in return, the king in a way is helping out his people as far as um, saying what he did in chapter 2 about his God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, we're going to get into chapter 2 next week. You think chapter 1 is loaded? Wait till we get to chapter 2. All right, if if there's nothing else, why don't we kneel as we close in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we were able to dive into the book of Daniel to look at these grand themes and these applications for our lives today. I pray, Lord, that as we looked at the history past, may we realize that that history is going to repeat again and help us to repeat the integrity, repeat the fidelity, repeat the courage that Daniel had in our own lives. Help us, Lord, to be able to stand in that day to say, no, we will not eat the king's dainties and his foods, but we will stand firm uh, to the principle of God of heaven. I ask that as we come um, into this next week, may we resolve in our minds, may we purpose, as Daniel did, to come a step higher in our health and in our diet. I pray that you will bless us so that at the end of these ten days, may we too be able to say we are fairer and fatter in flesh like Daniel and his friends. I ask that you will bless us as we continue to study your word, as we seek to come up higher in all areas of our life. May it be physical, mental, or spiritually. Uh, I ask that you grant us your uh, true method of education so that we may become balanced individuals, so that we may be 
uh, worthy vessels to do your work and that we may glorify your name in this world. I ask that you protect us and lead us and be with us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.